Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. A week or two ago, Jeffrey emailed me a meme that reads, in the interests of biblical accuracy, all the preaching about the resurrection this Easter Sunday will be done by women. It's true. All the biblical accounts of the first Easter morning, though they differ in detail or emphasis, every one of them notes that the first witnesses to the resurrection are women. The first people to proclaim this great good news are lowly women. Some scholars even argue that this all but proves the factualness of the Easter story. After all, the Bible was written, translated, edited, canonized, published, all within cultures that undervalued women. So, the argument goes, if somebody just made up the Easter story to, I don't know, hoodwink the rest of us, they certainly would not have made it up with women as the star witnesses. And that's what every one of the Gospels does. For me, Luke, whom we'll hear from in just a moment, particularly highlights that. Matthew's account overflows with the drama of an earthquake and a company of guards. Mark's version is famous for its intriguingly inconclusive conclusion. And John gives us that beautiful direct encounter between Mary Magdalene and the risen Lord. By contrast, Luke's telling seems rather small. So as we hear the story now, listen for how it tells of resurrection as something unexpected and invisible, something that's accepted only with assistance and only partially, something that's an already accomplished miracle and yet makes its way into the world in, not as a tour de force, but in the dribs and drabs of small human interactions. To set the scene, we hear the final verses of the 23rd chapter of Luke as it wraps up the wrenching experience of Good Friday. And those verses then lead directly into today's appointed reading from Luke 24. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was coming. And the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how Jesus' body was placed there. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, the women came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they went in, they did not find the body. As they stood there, perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothing stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the earth, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And then the women remembered Jesus' words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Nevertheless, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And then he went home amazed at what had happened. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Were it not for Luke's mention of two men in dazzling clothing, which is something that will catch your attention any day, this would be an utterly unimpressive recounting of an infinitely significant event. And I find myself grateful for that because I need to be reminded that for whatever reason, God seems to favor revealing big stuff in small ways. I mean, think about the start of Jesus' earthly story. Born in a barn to an unwed peasant woman whose birth announcements were sent to agricultural laborers and a trio of foreign wanderers. Think about the thrust of Jesus' earthly life, hanging out with the undistinguished in a dusty backwater of an occupied territory. Think about the priorities of Jesus' earthly ministry, feeding and healing and teaching and standing up for those who'd been kicked down and cast aside all of it infinitely significant, and yet with such small beginnings. When we look at it that way, it's no surprise that the responsibility of proclaiming Jesus' resurrection would be entrusted to people whose testimony would automatically be dismissed as an idle tale. It's the infinite starting small. Oh, bless those faithful women. Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the others. Bless them, they'd watched Jesus die. And then they'd followed the removal of his corpse to see where his body was placed. That was late Friday afternoon and the Sabbath begins at Friday sunset so they had barely enough time to prepare burial spices. Then came the long, numb with sorrow Sabbath Saturday. Now, finally, it's a new day and the women head out. The stone that should have blocked their access has been rolled away, but they don't even comment on that. They just brace themselves and step inside the tomb to anoint the dead body of their teacher and friend. Except, as Luke impassively puts it, they did not find the body. Submerged in grief, they can only stand there perplexed. They'd shown up to attend one last time to the one they'd supported throughout his ministry. And instead, they encounter mystery that they'd been told to expect, and yet they couldn't possibly anticipate. Chastised for seeking the living among the dead, they readily remember Jesus' promise of rising again, and so they head out to share this astonishing good news with the others who'd been part of their journey with Jesus. But oh, can't you see, 
those poor men, frightened, furious, bereft, shaking their heads and waving off the women's report. Luke doesn't linger with how the women took this dismissal. The point is that they have, just as Jeffrey's email pointed out, initiated the preaching of the resurrection. They have faithfully supplied their small contribution to God's infinite masterpiece. And because of them, Peter, laden with guilt over his three-time denial of Jesus, Peter feels some small nudge urging him beyond his despair, and so he visits the tomb. Luke keeps it simple. Peter peeks in sees something as small and insignificant as discarded linen, and that sends him home, quote, amazed at what had happened. Well, what had happened? Something so profound as to render Peter amazed, and yet Luke knows better than to attempt to wrap language around the specifics. Perhaps now is a good time to tell you that I am not, by the way, going to tell you what resurrection should mean to you. The resurrection that the Gospels preach is the realized promise that God raised from the dead the one who died for us. And I am blessed and humbled to be another woman in the long lineage of resurrection proclaimers. But my work is small. No more than Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, and the others do I have the ability to convince anyone of Jesus' resurrection. But I do think we've all had some experience of resurrection, some experience of life emerging from death in small ways. A child who is struggling in school finds a teacher who makes all the difference. A person who is ailing in mind or body or spirit experiences some degree of healing. A relationship that's strained almost to the breaking begins to strengthen. A faith that's grown shaky starts to rebuild. The resurrection that the Gospels preach is God's victory over all that diminishes creation. The resurrections we experience are small reflections of that infinite truth, everyday reminders that new life is possible, that death does not win. Whatever it means to you, resurrection is vital, even though it may start small. And as I said, I for one am grateful for that because I need to be reminded that God seems to favor doing big stuff in small ways. I need to be reminded of that because we face challenges that need big responses. There's the pandemic that even as it, thanks be to God, recedes from our front page, takes with it more than six million lives. There's the appalling brutality of Russia's war on Ukraine. There's the stupid divisiveness that threatens our own nation, putting at risk our democracy, our decency, our grasp of truth, our willingness to love. And there's the indisputable threat of climate crisis 
big stuff that could plunge me into despair were it not for the small stuff that may be glimmers of resurrection. I believe God's seemingly small resurrection activities can change human trajectories so that we reach a new destination. Think of Luke's story one more time. The women were utterly focused on tending to the dead, but they couldn't because Jesus is alive. Those memorable men in their dazzling clothes nudge the women to remember God's power and the women immediately refocus on spreading the good news of the resurrection, but they can't because the apostles dismiss them. Yet, the women's report nudges Peter, who is thereby able to join them in believing. Do you hear how God's infinitely vital, salvific truth seeps into the world despite people and also through people? Surely God continues to do that through us. As much as I wish God would just charge in here and fix everything, that is not God's style. Why? I wish I knew. But even as God accomplishes stuff of cosmic significance, like creation and recreation, God lets it be realized in the fits and starts of human life God dwelt among us, not as a powerful, glorious monarch, but as a vulnerable child. God's defeat of death itself is revealed not to the powerful, but to the dismissible women. For some reason, God chooses to work through our smallness. As we face the big bad stuff of these days and we don't see God charging in to fix it all in a blaze of glory, we could slide into despair assuming God is gone. Jesus' own disciples, the women, the apostles, they made that assumption following the crucifixion. But God's willingness to start small reminds us of the validity of hope. Just because it isn't obvious right now doesn't mean it isn't real and potent. By God's grace, seemingly small things can point to the infinite. Think of alleluias that don't stay hidden, that our children help us shout aloud. Think of tiny pieces of bread and thimblefuls of juice that are nothing less than the feast of heaven. Think of this family of faith able to celebrate Easter in this beloved sanctuary for the first time in three years and know that the infinite can start small. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.